Jesus, thanks so much for our church and, and how you support us and how, Lord, you stand beside the church and you work through this world through your church. And, Lord, every single one of us has a role to play. And, Lord, you're calling certain people to go one direction and you're calling other people to go another direction. I rejoice so much in, in hearing about your leading of people specifically, uh, you bringing confirmation and you directing them so that, uh, Lord, this isn't just something that men have tried to figure out, that we're going to start a, a Denver campus and it's going to be some great thing. But, Lord, it's, it's been from you every step of the way. And, Lord, we stand upon that. And when things get hard and when things uh, aren't what we expected, Lord, we believe and trust that you are building your church and you're building a foundation here that is not going to be uh, swayed when storms come and when uh, either success or failure, as far as the world looks at it, comes. Lord God, we will stand strong on you and, and we will know that you have uh, built something here and it's from you and, and we just want to give you that credit. Uh, Lord, we want to let your word just teach us and, um, and be our guide tonight. Encourage us, Lord. Teach us something new today uh, by your spirit. Lord, fill me with words that are not from my brain, but are from your spirit, your heart, uh, put on this paper that we hold in front of us in, in your word. So, Jesus, please give us your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Well... I was talking to Chris before service, and he said his favorite, his favorite phrase is, what's in it for me? <laughs> Just kidding. But he says he does say that a lot. What's in it for me? You guys heard that? Or what? He says, or what? What's in it for me? Um, as we've been studying Galatians, we've been contrasting legalism, uh, which is trying to prove yourself by the law, trying to make God happy with you by the law, by, by your own performance, by your own works. We've been contrasting that with grace, with grace and God's gift of his Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our lives, his work and not our work. And this contrast we've seen, uh, it may have had that question arise in your heart. Maybe, well, what do I get out of this? What, what What do I get from this relationship with God? Okay, I'm starting to track along with you that it's not legalism, it's not my performance that I need to lean on. But what's the real benefit of this? What's the real benefit of this? It almost has that, it's almost like that question. And if, you, if you're on Facebook and you see our Denver campus page on Facebook, I put an actual article up there today called, um, uh, Would You Still Follow Jesus If Nothing, if, if Your Life Didn't Get Better? And that was the name of the article, and it's from Relevant Magazine. It was a really good article, and I'm going to quote a little bit of it a little bit later on in our study. But that's kind of this idea of did Jesus just come to make our life better? Is that, is that why he came? Or, or what do we get out of this? Or what's in it for me? So I want to read you guys something that was in the news on, uh, yesterday. It came out yesterday at 8 a.m. in the morning here. Um, so I'm going to read you this article. The, the title on top is Indian from India, okay, princesses finally win battle for 2.6 billion pounds of inheritance, like British pounds, because this was like a British newspaper. So 2.6 billion inheritance after court accepts their Maharaja's father, father's will was forged. And the next point is, after he died, the Maharaja's daughter received a pittance despite, despite the fortune. And uh, a disputed will left the estate in control of his former servants. And now the daughters who are in their 80s 
have finally won their birthright. So I'm just going to read a couple of things. This has all this is the article. It has all the makings of a best-selling novel. An Indian maharaja crowned as a toddler and rich beyond imagination falls into a deep depression in old age after losing his only son in a car accident. After his own death a few months later, his daughters, the princesses, don't get the palaces, gold, or vast lands they claim as their birthright. Instead, they are given a few dollars a month from palace officials uh, they accuse of scheming to usurp the royal billions with a forged will, and the fight rages on for decades. On Saturday, an Indian court brought this chapter to a close, ruling that the will of Maharaja Harinder Singh Brar of Fardukat, I don't know how to speak Indian, uh, was fabricated. It was fabricated. So his daughters now inherit an estimated 2.6 billion pound estate instead of a trust run by his, his former servants and palace officials. Um, included is a 350-year-old fort, multiple palaces and forest lands in this region, a mansion surrounded by acres of land in the heart of New Delhi, and similar properties spread across four different states. There's also a stable, a stable of 18 cars, including a Rolls-Royce, a Dalmer, Dalmer, Daimler, and a Bentley, all in running condition. Uh, there's also, in addition, there's an aerodome. I think that's like a stadium. I'm not sure. Uh, in, in that country, uh, spread over 200 acres, which is being used um, by the, the country and the army. There's also more than 10 billion rupees or 110 million pounds worth of gold, jewelry studded with diamonds, rubies, and emeralds. Crazy. And they were left, uh, this goes on to say, in 1989 when he died, uh, the two young, younger princesses were left with uh, $20 a month and $18 a month was all that they got out of this deal. And the, the, the oldest daughter got nothing because she had married some other guy. And he was mad, is what the servant said. So, all that story says is that an inheritance is not for sure in this world. Right? I mean, these, these girls grew up with billions. And they had the right to it, the birthright to it. But because of something, the, the courts went on from 1989 till yesterday. What is this, 2013? Someone good at math. What is 13, 23, 24, 25 years, right? 25 years, they didn't get, I mean, they got $20 a month, which is crazy, just crazy. And uh, um, so it's not for sure. So what do we get? What do we get? Well, let's look at the verse that we're at right now, Galatians chapter 4. Verse uh, 6 is where we left off, so we're going to start in verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Well, what did we look at last week? We looked at that verse, verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And we talked about how everything God has bringing us to and drawing us to is relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Not relationship performance, then back relationship. It doesn't go like that. It's relationship, relationship, relationship. 
If we offend our father, we repent to our father, and then it's all about relationship. But even the act of repenting is relationship. It's not work to repent. It's changing your mind. It's, it's seeking the Lord with your heart. So relationship, relationship, relationship. So what do we get out of this relationship? He says here, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir. What you get is an inheritance. We were slaves. We were under bondage. We were under the law. We were in jail. But now we've been transferred and become sons or an heir. And an heir gets an inheritance. So what's our inheritance? Well, this week what we're going to do is we're going to go through the Bible and we're going to the whole Bible (laughs) and we're going to look at all the places where God talks about what this inheritance is. What is your inheritance? What do you get for following Jesus? What's in it for you? What's in it for you? Do I get everything fixed in my life when I follow Jesus? Will I even... uh, Will I follow Jesus even if everything in my life doesn't get better? It's kind of like that idea. You guys seen Napoleon Dynamite? Remember, remember Pedro's uh, Pedro was running for class president. What was his his slogan? And he had shirts. Said, "Vote for Pedro." Remember? And and the slogan or his slogan he said, "Vote for Pedro. He will make all your dreams come true." Make all your dreams, and that was the funniest slogan ever. I was just waiting for some politician to use that slogan because it would probably get him a ton of the hipster votes. Uh, so, is that what this is about? Is that what we get? Does Jesus make all our dreams come true? Uh, does Jesus make all our problems disappear? I'm going to read to you now a little bit of that article that I put up on our Facebook page today. Um, this is kind of the middle of the article. It says, uh, Jesus will make all your problems disappear. This gospel presentation misleads people to become more focused on their problems than on Jesus himself. While they step into faith, they stay center stage. And unfortunately, when circumstances do head south, they are ill-equipped to deal with them. When something bad happens, all is lost. Many of us had, have had tear-filled conversations with friends who are questioning why God would let bad things happen to people, let alone to good people, and even more so to his people. When these questions go unanswered, many people leave faith behind because they are tired of waiting and they do not trust God to actually show up. Instead, they go off in search of their own more immediate solution. They want comfort and happiness. They prefer um, something that comforts them. And ultimately, they are still the center of their lives and not God. They are still the center of their lives and not God. So, <clears throat> let's turn to Genesis. All the way back at the beginning. Let's see what we got. Genesis chapter 15. So Genesis chapter 15 is is when God is beginning to deal with Abram, who becomes Abraham a little bit later. And I want you to look at chapter 15, verse 1. I hear pages turning and I hear little fingers hitting glass, which means you guys are all getting there. (laughs) So chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. 
I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. So here's a little a little sneak peek of what the end of tonight's Bible study is. God is our inheritance. And that's exactly what he said here. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. But let's look at the first part of that real quick. He is our shield. That means he's our security uh, from known and unknown attacks. He watches our back. Um, and then he says, I am your exceedingly great reward, which speaks of the... Um, it's not just a great reward, it's an exceedingly great reward. It, it, he had to put an adjective in front of the word great because just the word great didn't do enough for God to explain to Abraham how wonderful his life is going to be if he follows him. So his, his inheritance would be. So now turn over to Psalms chapter 16. Book of Psalms chapter 16. There's a couple psalms that we're going to look at, which, of course, are different songs that that David and some other people had written. So in Psalm chapter 16, verse 5, he says, O Lord, you are are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. You can, see, you can look at verse 6 too. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Again, God uh, identifies himself, or we are, God is identified as being the substance of our inheritance. And look here. There is no thirst for another cup. When, he, when uh, the psalmist is saying, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. He's, he's not going to be thirsting for another cup when he fills your cup. Um, so this makes me think of, of Jesus on the last great day of the feast in John chapter 7 when he stood up and, and they were doing this feast where the tradition was they would pour water down the street and it would, it would run down the street and it was just this, it would kind of cleanse the street and it was this big water festival thing. And Jesus stood up and he yelled in his loudest voice and he said, if anyone thirsts, Come to me, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Um, you know, and that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, which again speaks of our inheritance. And what I, what I see in this is that heaven and our inheritance, what we get, is not going to be boring. Have you guys ever had the thought, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Are we going to be up there, and the first thing we get is a harp? And the first thing people go to, who go to hell get is a is a something accordion. Is that, is that how it's going to work? I was in a far side thing we were reading the other day. Um, you know, is it just going to be a harp? And are all of us going to have to learn to be harp players? Because I've watched my mom, my mom plays harp, and um, it's beautiful, but it can get kind of annoying after a few hours of hearing it and on end and then if we are doing this for eternity that doesn't seem to me as fun as a lot of other things I could think of pretty much anything so this idea that the that has been put out there that heaven is playing harps is like what but Bugs Bunny 
taught me that when I was growing up. And it's sad that I got my vision of heaven from Bugs Bunny. It's, it's true, though. That's what I think. Of. And, and, and hell, too. I think of fire and an escalator and, and Satan at the bottom with a, pitch, with a, a trident or a pitchfork. And he always has a, a goatee. I don't know what's so evil about goatees, but Satan has one. And all that comes from cartoons on Saturday morning. Instead of Sunday morning, church. So all you go to church, take your kids to church. Anyway, where was I going with that? Oh yes, he fills my cup. He maintains my life. He is my portion. The cup, the, the overflowing of God that he describes in, of living water. And I don't think heaven's going to be boring. Life with God now isn't boring. And I just, in fact, okay, so this just came to mind. You guys know what we're going to be doing for heaven in, for all of eternity? In John chapter 17, they, they came to Jesus and said, what is eternal life? And they asked him that. They said, what is eternal life? And, this is, and Jesus said, this is eternal life. You may know the Father and him who he has sent. So for all of eternity, what we're going to be doing is getting to know God in a deeper way every day. And after a billion years, I'm going to look at Avant and say, bro, I'm just getting started. And he's going to say, bro. And he's going to have his laugh that we all love. And he's just going to be like, this is so great. Because it's like unlimited. How, how limited is God? Where is the limit of God's greatness? God's glory? It is unlimited. And we're never going to be unlimited like that, right? So after a billion years, we are still going to have just as much of God's heart to explore. And it also says that for a million years, it says for all of eternity, we're going to be searching out the riches of his grace and his love towards us. Which means for all those billions of years, we're going to be just experiencing and learning about how much God loves us. How much he cares about us. Which seems pretty awesome to me. That's something that I can get down with. So, it's not boring. Then it says, he maintains my lot. He maintains my lot. I I find that comforting. You know, he keeps seeking me out when I stray. He maintains our relationship. My tendency is not to maintain things. Ask my wife about our laundry basket. Or the dishes, or anything else that's pretty much my responsibility. My tendency, when I'm not doing a good job, is to let things get out of order. But God here, he's a maintainer. He maintains my lot, my portion, my inheritance. He's always pressing me towards health in my relationship. And sometimes that gets really annoying. i got to admit to you. Sometimes I wanted the day off. And God doesn't let me. And God pushes me and says, no, you've got to be in my word today. You've got you to you gotta come to me. And here, here's some trials in your life to make you come to me because you need to come to me. And if you don't come to me, you're going to have, you're going to really mess things up. Because your flesh is still there, Sean. And you still have a, the possibility to mess up everything. But he's the one maintaining me. He's the one that maintains my lot. So I love that. He cares about my future reward. 
He cares about my inheritance. He's not this court that's up there that in India that doesn't care about the people. They just were trying to figure out if there was something forged or whatever. He actually cares about us. He's the advocate for us to get a reward, to, to find this uh, inheritance at the end of our journey. So it's pretty cool. Turn to Psalm 73. A few pages to the right. Psalm 73, verse 26. In Psalm 73, 26, it says, My heart and my flesh, or my flesh and my heart fail. Period. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What does this teach us about our inheritance? That my relationship with God as a son is not dependent on how strong my heart and flesh are. People say all the time, I've just lost heart. I've just lost strength. I'm not strong enough to do that. I'm not good enough. That's okay. It's really okay. God isn't looking for strong people. He's not looking for people who haven't lost heart. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. God is looking for those who are, who are willing to be his children. Willing to be a son. Not able to do great things. God can do great things with a donkey. He can do great things with rocks. He'll use you if you're, if you're his son. That's not the, the issue. What he's looking for is broken and humble people who are saying, God, please make me your child. Please, I want to have that, that spirit inside me crying out, Abba, Father, so I could be your child. That's what he's looking for. It also shows me that my failures or weakness never diminish how much of a son I am. We are sons of God by faith and not by works. So no matter how much I fail, or what I get wrong, or who I make mad, it doesn't affect my, my sonship. I remember the, the illustration I gave last time of the man and his dog, and, and he says, I have a son in that room, this dog obeys me all the time, but I have a son in that room who messes things up all the time. And he's, he makes messes, and he, he messes in his pants, and he's a baby, but he's the one that's going to inherit everything I have because he's my son. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. So go now to the book of Jeremiah. Still to the right, we're, going to, we're just journeying from left to right. Jeremiah chapter 10. So look in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 16. I went through before this and I highlighted all these verses in blue so I can find them really quick on my page. So Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 16. He says, The portion of Jacob is not like them. What is the them he's talking about? Well, if you look just above in verse 14 and 15, he's talking about idols. Idols that they made out of metal and wood and stuff like that. But he says here, The portion of Jacob is not like them, 
for he is the maker of all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So our portion, our inheritance, the Bible says, it draws our attention to the fact that he's the maker of all things. So it doesn't matter. Thinking about inheritance, what do you usually think of? What, did, what was those Indian people got? They got houses and cars and jewels and rubies and all these great things. But for us, it doesn't matter. Because even if we get all things, or even if we don't get all things, we get the maker of all things. We get the maker of all things. Our inheritance is better than getting everything. Everything in the whole world. Our inheritance is better because our inheritance is the maker of everything in the universe. I love that. It's like he he built that into the Bible to just help us understand not to not to worry about things, not to worry about getting things and our inheritance in this world. He he put that in there to to help us know that we get the maker. He calls himself the portion right there. So he obviously is drawing our attention towards inheritance, towards that what we're going to get out of this relationship. And he says, you're going to get everything. Don't worry about the little trinkets and the cars and the rubies and the mansions. You're going to get it all in the end. And look what he says here. Um, the last phrase says, the Lord of hosts is his name. Right before that, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance, the Lord of hosts in his name. So this, was, this really caught my eye when I was reading this, that it calls him the Lord of hosts in this verse. Um, that's a title or name of God that was frequently used in the Old Testament. And it's, uh, it's, it's uh, the phrase Yahweh of hosts. And evidently the meaning of this title is that all created agencies and forces are under the leadership or dominion of Yahweh who made and maintains them. In, uh, in Genesis and Isaiah, it's used to express Yahweh's great power. So, his great power, all the power of God demonstrated in that name or described in that name is ours by association. Not that we get to wield that power, but the God who has all that power says, I am your inheritance. So don't worry about all these created things. Worry about the the power behind it. The power that made it all. You have a relationship with. And all that I have and all my attention is going to be on you and is for you. It's so encouraging. It's just awesome. And also it shows that his great power secures our inheritance. And it's great because it's not our weak power. That's how I describe my power, my weak power. But no, it's his great power secures and, and protects our inheritance. So now turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. This is speaking of a detail about our inheritance, okay? So the inheritance is, our, is God himself. And it's our relationship with God. 
And look at what this says. Verse 33 of Jeremiah chapter 31. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So part of this inheritance is that we get the mind and the heart of God given to us. And this is something that we can be experiencing now. And this is part of the new covenant and the grace that we've been talking about and the men have been studying on, on Wednesday, on Saturday mornings over at Sojourner's Coffee, and, and, and this new covenant of grace. This is part of the inheritance and it's, it's uh, this relationship. So turn one page over to chapter 32, verse 38 through 41. And he says here, They shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good and I will assuredly plant them in this land and all my heart, with all my heart and with all my soul. In this portion of that covenant and that this deal that we have with God, this inheritance that we get from being his child, I see that we don't get a wishy-washy God. A God that's like, well, you might get it or you might not. Or, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see how good you did. Or, we'll have to wait and see if I'm really going to give this all to you and, and really going to fully take you. No, look at the words he uses. I will give them one heart and one way. And they will feel my name forever for the good of them. And it's an everlasting covenant. And then I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will, in verse 41, and I will do them good with all my heart and all my soul. If God says, it, the most romantic movies always have that phrase, with all my heart and all my soul, I will love you because you're my figure skating partner. Or whatever movie you're watching. But it's always with all my heart and all my soul. Where did they even get that? From God. He's the one who wrote that. People are just trying to be like him. Which is another story. We'll talk about that later. So we don't get a wishy-washy God who isn't really sure what he wants. We get a God who, is re- who will relentlessly pursue us to bless us and do us good. You guys know Psalm 23, right? You guys probably have it memorized. The last phrase of Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Do you know what that word follow means in the, in the Hebrew? It means hunt you down. Surely goodness and mercy will hunt me down all the days of my life. See what David's saying there? That God is relentless in his pursuit to bless us. And why does he do that? Because of relationship. Never is it based on performance. It is always based on relationship. Always based on relationship. 
The next book in the Bible is Lamentations, so let's go there. Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations is written by the same guy who wrote Jeremiah, which was Jeremiah. Lamentations 3.24 The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. When we understand that the Lord is our inheritance and our portion, it creates hope. Have you ever been hopeless? It's because of this. It's because your hope wasn't in the Lord. When our hope is in the Lord and in his portion and in his inheritance, him being our reward, there is hope, the Bible says. So if you ever have, are in that state of hopelessness, I want you to look to the Lord and you'll, you'll get hope. It's not, all I can do is hope that God will do something. Rather, it's, I can't stop my unchanging hope in God. That's the difference. Not, I hope God takes care of this, but it's impossible for me to think anything else because God's character means I have hope. The fact that I am standing here breathing means I have hope that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're racing through the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. He says, chapter 3, verse 21, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the, or the world or life or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. We don't ever have to look to men to give us our due, or our inheritance, or our reward, because we are already, right now, far richer than any man could ever make us. And that's awesome. No man could give us anything of value compared to our relationship with God. That's what he's saying here. He wanted them to get their eyes off of what men could do for them and get their eyes onto their relationship with God and what they get. Here he just says, he says, everything is theirs already. As the children of God, they had the right to everything. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Next book over. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is all of everything we're just talking about. We become sons 
and daughters, and he becomes our father, which speaks of relationship. All this speaks of relationship. And what does he say is the benefit here is that we become the temple of the living God. We become his treasury, his storehouse. The place he keeps all his riches is in you. Everything God thinks is valuable is inside of you guys here in this place. And that's why he says, don't worry about the world. Come out from among the world. Get less connected with the world. Get less controlled by the world. Because we are his temple. We are the house of God. We are the treasury and the place he stores his riches. He dwells inside us. And that's our inheritance. Look, turn to the end of the Bible. Last chapter. Well, second last chapter. Revelation chapter 21. Just turn to the end and back off one page. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 7, it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Let me read that again. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Are you guys getting the picture? Do you see the one theme throughout the entire Bible is that God wants a relationship with us that he describes as being a son and a father. He wants that relationship. And the result of that relationship is you get everything you ever wanted. Everything. Things you don't even know you want. is found in him. Everything. Overcomers are those who trust Jesus in their lives. Heirs inherit all things. There will be no end or measure of what all things are. You can't even, he couldn't even list all the things. He just said all things. It's going to blow our minds what we have inherited and should be blowing our minds now. But maybe we're not experiencing this right now. Maybe we're, you're living this life and you're like, I'm poor. <laughs> I'm poor physically. I'm poor spiritually. I'm, I'm weak. I don't have this that you're talking about. Maybe you don't feel like God's son or daughter. Maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you feel like you're in the doghouse. You're not allowed in his home. Turn to Luke 15. This is the last place we'll turn. Well, it might not be the last place we turn. We'll see. Real quick, Luke 15. And you guys all know this story, but we're going to read it anyway because it has a really powerful application to what we're talking about. Verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeying to a far, far country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods of the swine that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you and I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Wow. Wow. Just reading that after everything we just talked about blows my mind. What was the father? This is Jesus telling the story. I don't want you to forget. Jesus himself is putting these details in and telling us the word for word the story. And what does Jesus say the most important thing about the story was? He called it a father and two sons. And the father loved both of his sons the same. And look at the emotion the father displayed at certain points. That he, he had compassion. He fell and wept and kissed him. Those are powerful verbs to use for Jesus describing the heart of God. See, God is in love with you. He absolutely wants you to understand that you are his son. And it doesn't matter about the performance. One of his sons thought that he had lost his relationship with his father. But did he? No. His father still loved him just the same. Maybe more. He loved him so much. And he didn't care that he wasted what he thought was his inheritance. But was that really his inheritance? Was it really or when he came back, did the father, was the father able not to restore him to relationship? Which shows us that the inheritance that God wants us to be focused on is relationship. He provided everything for us to be his son. And all we have to do is enjoy being his son. We just 
run into his arms. And like I said, maybe you don't feel like you're experiencing all those blessings right now. It doesn't change the fact that they're all yours. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Maybe you feel like you shouldn't even be a son of God. You don't deserve it anymore because of what you've done. We just run into his arms. We just make that decision to repent and come back. We just run into his arms. And what happens? He showers us with kisses and love and tenderness and kindness. And he restores the relationship. If we put off repentance another day, we have a, a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. A Spurgeon said that. The other brother, he was all worried about his performance being better than this other guy, his, his other brother. So the question is, does, does that make me a better son if I've been walking with the Lord and enjoying my, my relationship with God? See, that son also needed the father to come out and talk to him. And the father, what did he do? Did he come out and say, get your butt in here right now? What are you talking about? No. He brought him in with kindness and gentleness. And he said, you're my son too. But you need to understand that it's about relationship as well. Yes, you've been here the whole time. And all I've had is yours. But maybe the reason why you're not experiencing so much joy right now is because you've kind of forgotten the joy of just being with me as your father. When, you, when someone comes back from the army, and I know we have army and Air Force wives in and, and this congregation, and your husband's been gone a long time, it's a pretty big deal when they come back. And you're pretty excited, and you're like, yeah! And you give them hugs and kisses, and there's tears. And then two months later, when they left the seat up on the toilet, you're not so happy to see them that next morning. That, that newness and that, that excited, excitedness about relationship has worn away. Yet, God wants us to be there all the time, where relationship is what it's all about for us. And I keep saying the word repentance because repentance is so important when it comes to our relationship with God. Repentance is not this big scary word that the, whoever in our life has made it out to be. You need to repent. It's not what it is. Repentance is just coming, running back to God and jumping in his arms. That's what I want us to see repentance. Oswald Chambers says, it is not repentance which saves me. Repentance is the sign that I realize what God has done in Christ Jesus. The danger is to put the emphasis on the effect instead of the cause. It is my obedience that puts me... Is it my obedience that puts me right with God? Never. I am put right with God because prior to all else, Christ died on the cross. When I turn to God and by belief accept what God reveals, instantly the stupendous atonement of Jesus Christ rushes into a, me into a right relationship with God. And by the miracle of God's grace, I stand justified, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. The salvation of God does not stand on human logic. It stands on the sacrificial death of Jesus. Sinful men and women can be changed into new creatures by a marvelous work of God in Christ Jesus, which is prior to all experience. So... 
Do we understand this inheritance? Do we understand the, the portion? If we don't, all we need to do is spend more time with God. And you'll, you'll have an exper- experiential knowledge of this inheritance, of your portion. It doesn't... There's not something that we're waiting for, guys. In your life... You're complete right now. There's nothing else that can happen to you to make you better. All that you need is right now, right here, in your heart, the Holy Spirit. How much effort do we put thinking that there's something else out there? Oh, if I only had a position in ministry. Oh, if I only had a husband or a wife. If I only had that other job. Those things can make us feel good for a short amount of time. But I feel a lot like they are that that inheritance that was given to the younger son. And we so often take those things given to us and we blow them on our selfish desires. And I'm so glad that my true inheritance is never going to fade away. That's being kept by God and it's, it's available to me right now. It's available when I wake up in the morning and I just open my word and I talk to him. And his power rushes into me and fills me for that day. It's real and legit and it works. Because it's a real inheritance. It's not like these Indian guys, princesses, that thought they were heirs but didn't have the experience of it for 25 years. Are we those girls right now? Are we those princesses? That we had, like, by birth we should have an inheritance, by relationship with God we should be living in it, but we're not. Because we're not reading our Bibles, we're not spending time with Him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that everything is going to be ours. And not just that, but the maker of everything is ours. God, you, you allow there to be a possession in, in, our relation, in our relationship with you, a possessiveness where you possess us and we possess you and the connection of us with you is deeper than any marriage and any husband-wife, any father-son, any parent-child relationship. All of those just speak to us and teach us what a relationship with you is supposed to look like. And so, God, help us to just be dependent humbly on this relationship. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be quick to repent, that we would just come back and run into your arms at every moment. Lord, we do that right now for all the the areas that we've lost focus, all the areas that we search for another inheritance, another portion that isn't you and you alone in our lives. God, we repent. And we love that word and we love running into your arms and feeling your tears of joy run down our neck. And your hugs squeeze us so tight and give us comfort in knowing that you did not, you weren't angry with us. You did not forsake us. God, we love you. And we just rejoice now in all that you've done for us and given to us. In your name we pray. Amen.